0: Welcome to iCommunicate, on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of iCommunicate, the Mindset Go radio show. I'm really pleased to be with you here on a Thursday afternoon, despite the awful weather outside, and more importantly, despite uh, COVID-19, and uh, these days more than ever, I really look forward to the radio show, get a lot of feedback from people about how this show does lift them up uh, during the week, and it provides a disruption, and that's a really key word, disrupt, because the reality of the situation is uh, there are so many reasons, and I'd even use the word excuses to be unmotivated or feel down that anything that can kind of provide some uh, uplift, as I said, is is good in my mind. And, you know, I wanted to start by sharing kind of where I'm at in, in this crisis is, you know, we're, I think we're asking people all the time, how are you doing? How are you handling everything? And we're getting different answers, and I, and I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised by maybe maybe I'm just fortunate in the circles I run with and colleagues and friends and family and and, and, and clients, but I've been hearing more positive than negative uh, which which makes me very happy and you know I did some soul-searching this week you know this is a time of so much self-reflection. We all have more not all of us I shouldn't say that you know we have certain uh, uh, professions such as the medical, professions, uh, medical profession, and so many medical providers are heroes right now. Uh, but many of us have more time on our hands than we're used to having, and usually more time on our hands means more time to think and more time to self-reflect. And I've been doing a lot of self-reflection, and I was thinking about how I tend to evaluate um, how well things are going in my life whether it's relationships with people, whether it's the success or growth of my business, whether it's my self-confidence, whether it's my physical health and well-being. I mean, there's so many criteria to evaluate. And one of the the pieces of advice I give clients all the time, um, especially when needing to be resilient in dealing with times of crisis, is to really uh, recognize and appreciate the reality of your situation, and that includes the victories, and that includes the disappointments. But I actually took the time this week to write down a handful of victories I had, and I I wanted to share them with you because I think taking, whether it's 5 or 10 minutes a day, or 20 or 30 minutes a week to actually appreciate what you have, I, I feel like we're always trying to tell people to be grateful. You know, some of us will use the expression, well, you know, I'm not doing that well, but I I don't have it as worse as other people do. And it's one thing to be grateful. It's one thing to be appreciative. It's one thing to feel fortunate. But it's another thing to actually articulate what it is you're feeling fortunate for. And so this week, here's, here's here's what I was proud of. Here's what I got done this week. I finally got my taxes turned into my accountant and all the things I needed to do. I'm 48 years old, and I actually, for the, yesterday, for the first time in my life, cooked a turkey for a Passover dinner, which I, I was way easier than I thought it was going to be, and paid a nickel for every time I procrastinated something or avoided doing something, and I actually took the step to do it and said to myself when it was done, boy, that wasn't so bad. I'd be a rich man. Uh, I hosted the Family Feud Tournament last weekend. and got other families involved to do something fun for family bonding. It was obviously virtual, but it was great. Played basketball three times. Went on a walk. I conducted a successful webinar this week on uh, how to stay on top of mind in sales. And I celebrated a Passover Seder last night with my ex-wife and youngest son, and it was really a relaxing, enjoyable, happy evening. So... You know, I look at those things, and and I I take a lot of pride, and I appreciate it, and at the same time, here were the things that I I felt bad about or affected my confidence or caused small bouts of depression in the past week. I've been been trying for months to start a consistent exercise routine, which I have not yet been able to motivate myself to do. Um, I've tended to feel isolated. There are times during the week when no one's here with me at home where I feel very isolated and alone. I struggle to prioritize certain work projects. I haven't been as patient with people that contractors, outside contractors that are working for me. I have created imaginary pressure for myself about my business because the COVID-19 virus has forced me to pivot. Like it has so many. And I'm now doing much more coaching than training and speaking for obvious reasons. And As a result of having to pivot, it's created a lot of work, and I've been working ridiculously long days unnecessarily because my inner voice has been telling me I'm on this imaginary timeline that I have to get everything done by a certain point, which is just flat out not true, and in turn, that's created a lot of anxiety, and I'm missing sports tremendously, and I've become very reliant on on old and general TV for my entertainment. And I share that with you because I feel a lot of people are battling with self-doubt and are being hard on themselves for not being motivated enough or, not, or procrastinating whatever things they think, and this is a big word, they should be doing. And Ted and I have talked on the past shows about this expression, should on ourselves. And I feel like now more than ever, people are falling into that trap of shooting on themselves. And I have to tell everybody, there there are no rules of engagement that society has created that says you are supposed to do a certain amount of work, a certain amount of caring, a certain amount of effort in your life. It's like grieving. Everybody has different ways they grieve, and everybody has different ways they cope. And we're all figuring it out. And what I realized this week, you know, as we're over a month into this, is I'm just trying to accept the fact that when I have a stretch of time where I'm feeling unmotivated or I'm feeling isolated or alone or disappointed or depressed, it's okay. It's not, I'm not breaking a rule. I'm not letting people down. I'm being human. And I think it's really critical that we allow ourselves latitude and slack to be human and I think for me personally by actually recognizing the victories and accepting the things that I'm not accomplishing or still haven't accomplished it has helped my mental health and it has helped my peace of mind and let's face it think of think of how much we're all trying to manage right now okay If we were really going to self-assess how we were handling and managing this situation, for those of us who have kids, we have our relationships with our kids, and we're trying to model behavior for our kids. We're trying to tell our kids the right thing. We're trying to support our kids in the best way we can. It's a lot of pressure. I mean, forget every other relationship you have. Forget every other responsibility you have. Modeling behavior, telling kids the right thing, in supporting them in the best way we can, those three objectives by themselves are so much to handle. Then we have our family, and it could be our immediate family, it could be our extended family, it could be older relatives and family that we're worried about that we don't have in contact with. Then we have our friends. Then we have our significant others. And what are each of our styles of coping with pressure and disappointment and frustration and feeling isolated? And then, of course, we have our work relationships: managing up, managing down, and managing sideways. So there really is a lot to handle. And I am the last person, when I coach or I train people or I support people, I'm the last person to just give an empty platitude and tell people hey you're doing a great job don't worry about it it's okay that i don't believe that i don't i, I that's 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 what i call the participation trophy mentality i'm not going to i'm not going to reward you for participating i'm not going to reward you for showing up but you can you you cannot have that mentality but you can still be very empathetic and supportive and recognize small victories at a time when we all really need to recognize small victories you know, I saw a post on Facebook the other day, and it said they were, they were posting how much the, the deaths and the people infected with the virus have gone up in the country. And underneath the post, someone commented, how come we don't see any peace uh, posts regarding how many people have been cured? And it's like, yeah, what a, what a great thought. But it's just so much easier to complain. It's so much easier to be negative. It's so much easier to get swept up in uh, fear, which is happening. And I'm intent on being present and recognizing, you know, so much of being mindful is being present and understand what's going on right now and what we're facing. But now more than ever, we have to be present and only take things a day at a time because we really don't know what the future holds. You know that. You're listening to the show. You know that. So why get ahead of ourselves? Why start worrying about what's going to happen in 30 days and 60 days and whether we're going to have to cancel vacations and kids are going to have to go to school and all these things? So when we come back, I want to talk more about this. And I am want to transition to the importance of asking questions and listening to really understand how people are feeling. This is Mark Altman for Mindset Go. We'll be back after the break.
0: Now, I Communicate Continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Welcome back to the Mindset Go radio show. I communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman. Happy to be back here. And this show, one of the reasons I really love to do this show is because it offers an opportunity to help people solve problems uh, with different relationships they have in their life. And and probably the biggest passion I have in helping people become more confident and effective communicators is asking questions and listening and really the ability to have. Difficult Conversations. And I was thinking about this, and the word difficult, I talked to a few people, and they, said, and they said the word difficult, from a word association point of view, comes, what they think of when they hear difficult is conflict. And difficult or challenging conversations can be about conflict, but the, the, the gap of what defines difficult conversation is so much broader. And I think when you're having a a challenging conversation, so much of it relates to the emotion that both sides could feel in the conversation. And that's what makes it a challenging conversation. The fact that it it could get emotional and and the emotion could be anger. It could be sadness. It could be general frustration. It could be surprise, but one way or another, There are so many conversations we have over the course of every day that could be classified under difficult or challenging conversations. And I am a real fan of a guy named Edgar Schein, and Schein is spelled S-C-H-E-I-N. And he his uh, studies all were around something called humble inquiry. And humble inquiry is about asking important questions, and really um, transforming the questions you ask to allow you to effectively listen. And, you know, when I think about the art of asking questions and how important they are, it's, it's how you ask them that really, it's, it's the words you choose, it's the tone you take, and it, 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 there's so many elements. And, and, and part of the elements of asking questions is your intent and purpose in the questions you ask. So there are four kinds of inquiry that are typically associated with asking questions. One of them is humble inquiry, which is about maximizing your curiosity and interest in the other person. It really gets you curious. It puts you in a situation where you're not assuming anything. And one of the challenges about asking questions is a lot of times when we ask certain questions, we're anticipating or assuming what the answer would be. And humble inquiry allows you to stay genuinely curious about the answer without making an assumption. And then there's something called diagnostic inquiry. And this is designed to focus on the feelings and reactions of the other person and really more importantly, the causes and motives that drive them. So we're not Just listening to the words that come back, we're really trying to understand the the motive or the root cause behind how they're answering the question, and really the, the overall situation. And then there's something called confrontational inquiry, and what's interesting about confrontational inquiry is Ted and I have joked about this on the show before. This word confront implies negative, that it's going to be an argument or a conflict. And when, when you use confrontational inquiry, you're inserting your own ideas to the question, and it's almost you're leading and trying to influence how the person answers the question. And then the last one is process-oriented inquiry, where instead of with the content of the, of the conversation, it focuses more on the here and now, and that can have its pros and cons. But The reason I wanted to share these kinds of inquiry with you is because I wanted just to, to, to cover, I want you to see how differently and hear how differently the way questions can be asked to get genuine, authentic answers without being influenced and led. Because so much of a conversation depends on the tone that's set in that first question that's asked. And one of the things I cover in our leadership and communication training is that when you, a lot of people say they want to be told like it is. They don't want people to play games with them, and they want the communication to be direct. Well, that's great, but if the direct communication that the receiver seeks puts them on the defensive or makes them have to defend or justify something, then the conversation is already going to get off on a bad foot because the receiver probably isn't going to be open-minded because they're going to be too focused on listening to reply with an agenda to defend their cause. So if something happens, if you're talking to someone and and you notice that they became angry by what you're observing, if you ask the question, did that make you angry, or you ask the question, how did that make you feel, the conversation totally changes because if you assume someone is angry and let's face it, most of us recognize certain cues, whether it's body language, whether it's tone or things like that, that we, we feel like we know when people are angry. But the problem is it's a close, first of all, it's a closed ended question when you say, did that make you angry? And second of all, you're making an assumption. And when you make an assumption, People could, could feel patronized because they could say, well, of course that made me angry, or they could be feeling other emotions in addition to anger, or frankly, they could feel emotions instead of anger. So by using humble inquiry, when you say, how did that make you feel, it leaves the question open-minded enough, as opposed to what's confrontational of, did that make you angry? Okay. And then I'm going to give you two other examples just to drill home the point. Let's say there was a question like, do you think they sat that way because they were scared? So maybe you detected something in someone's body language. And so you're inquiring to someone, do you think this is why they did what they did because they were scared? Well, you're leading them because you're saying because they were scared as opposed to, Why do you suppose they sat that way? So the way you frame questions is so critical. And I do so much work around leadership and sales. And this is such an incredibly important element of emotional intelligence. Because being self-aware of how you ask a question, sometimes you may want to lead someone. Sometimes you may want to influence how they answer. But most of the time, we don't. And we want the genuine thoughts and feelings and emotions of that person. So knowing how to use humble inquiry to ask questions, to elicit the kinds of responses you want is critical. And one of my favorite things around asking questions and listening is sales emotional intelligence. And we hear emotional intelligence a lot these days. It's, it's really... So critical, And the five aspects of emotional intelligence are self-awareness, self-control, motivation, empathy, and social skills. And so we're, we're, we're frequently hearing about the importance of emotional intelligence with relationships in the workplace, relationships amongst family, friends, colleagues, relationships with coaches and athletes, etc., but I'm, I'm very committed to bringing emotional intelligence into the world of sales because so much of being effective as a salesperson is your mindset and your thought process and your awareness of others and how they're thinking and how they're behaving and why they're, why they're acting a certain way. It, it, it's, 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 that's all about that. And so when I think of sales emotional intelligence, It starts with listening. And every salesperson at one time or another in their life has been told, you have two ears and one mouth, use them proportionately. You need to listen more than you talk. Salespeople have been told that. What I always say when I hear someone say that is, everybody knows that's the right way, but how do you create the habit? How do you facilitate the behavior change so if you are the kind of salesperson that tends to talk more than you listen, or even if you're the kind of salesperson that doesn't know how to ask the most effective questions. And and one of the things about being in sales is probing questions. Salespeople hear that terminology, got to ask probing questions. To me, probing questions are get you in the door. Like a probing question to me is a simple obvious follow-up question that you're asking um, to something you've heard. However, sometimes probing questions can be scripted, and sometimes you'll have follow-up questions based on what you're assuming you're hearing. So to me, to the way you start the behavior change and the way you facilitate asking the right questions all starts with listening. Now, there are three very fundamental, simple levels of listening. One of them is what I refer to as selfish listening, or let's call it level one listening, which is listening to reply. And the key here, and I don't care whether you're in sales, you're a leader, whatever, whatever you're doing with yourself, here's the key to level one listening. The attention is on you. In other words, when you're listening at level one, you have really minimal concern for the person talking. And you're listening to hear how their words, how their responses, and how their answers are going to affect you, your thoughts, your judgments, things like your, issues, things like your conclusions and feelings. So level one listening, if you're gathering information about yourself personally, then that's beneficial. Otherwise, it's a very ineffective way to listen and really uncover information about others. Now level two now, level two listening is more of a focused listening, and that's listening to understand. And the key to level two listening is we're noticing what people say as well as how they say it. But here's the big one. We're listening for what they're not saying. That's the key part of listening to understand and level two listening. And we're really trying to zero in on what's important to them on what what gives them energy or what motivates their behavior? So when we come back for our final segment, I'm going to talk about level three listening and how to incorporate those behaviors into adding asking effective questions. This is I Communicate. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm.
0: I communicate continues on full service radio eight thirty WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about listening, and one of the challenges of listening is we all know we need to be better listeners. You know, we all say it as kind of a throwaway line, but we don't necessarily know how to do that. It seems so obvious to want to do it, but we don't know how to do it and how to execute. And it's really about mindfulness and self-awareness around emotional intelligence is the way to do it. And, you know, I was, just to recap, you know, that level one listening, which is the selfish listening, which is to listen to reply and really understand how someone else's words are affecting you, your thoughts, your judgments, and so on and so forth. Level two listening was the focused listening, uh, listening to understand. But the real key in that level two listening was noticing what they say, how they're saying it, but what they're not saying. Like, what is the, what are those hidden messages? And frankly, in regard to uh, leadership and relationships and sales, understanding what those hidden meetings are, are so valuable and so huge and can tell us so much. So much of communication is what's not said. And... That's why that level two listening is important. Now, the level three listening is what I refer to as mindful listening and listening with presence. And, you know, the expression, can you see what I'm saying? This kind of listening is we're really clear on, we're noticing someone's body language. Again, we're still noticing what's not being said. We're really trying to understand the energy and the emotion of the person we're listening to and At the end of the day, we're using this information to ask more effective questions. Because if you if you're in sales and you either are asking probing questions or you think you really excel at asking effective questions, the truth of the matter is that the way we could evaluate that is how often are you noticing what the hidden meaning of what they're not saying? How often are you really sensing? the body language in the emotion in the energy of the receiver of the communication. And frankly, one of the things that I see happening with salespeople a lot is there's a real lack of assertiveness because often you may you may observe or hear or notice something in the person's answer or body language or hidden messages, but then there isn't there aren't follow up questions asked to clarify why you know why they they reacted the way they did, why they maybe didn't offer up certain information you would have expected them to share? That's listening. It's understanding what you're up against, and then once you hear that, knowing how to respond with the appropriate questions accordingly. Now, with salespeople, I see two fundamentally poor habits. one one of the habits is, When they describe themselves and then when they're talking about themselves as a tool to engage others and make them interested, they use an elevator pitch. And this is a prime example of what I'm talking about because I'm very anti-elevator pitch. And I think the way you engage people is when they ask you what you do and to tell you a little bit about themselves, I train people not to come blurt out an initial answer. And to ask a question to the person uh, to see if the, th- the, the, the problems that your job solves is to try to ask them a question to see if they experience any of those problems so you can f- try and connect and resonate with them first and see how they respond rather than blurt out a generic standard response explaining your job title or your career or your company when they may not care about any of that. So that's one of the challenges I see with, uh, with blurting out information. And the other thing is, when it comes to the importance of listening and asking questions, one of my core philosophies in my sales training at Mindset Go is you have to earn the right to sell something by asking a question. So in other words, at Mindset Go, if one of the uh, differentiating factors of my business is uh, our continuous learning program to reinforce learning after the training is completed, I can come right out and say that, or I can ask a question to see if that's an interesting point or a pain center that that person feels as they're evaluating trainers. But without asking a question and using level two and level three listening components, I lose out on really understanding the meaning of that advantage for them. And every company has selling points. Every company should have differentiators. But if you, if you start an interaction with someone, you start a conversation assuming that your values, your differentiators, your selling points automatically are going to add value and you're ready to blurt those out and vomit them out in the conversation, you lose because they might not have meaning and you're really diluting your message with content that really doesn't matter. So think about this. There's one takeaway from this radio show, because I know when people are processing information, there's a lot to take in. All right. And so I want you to think about the following phrase I'm about to share. And that phrase is what I hear you saying is if Interactions you had in your life, every time someone shared information with you, you could stop yourself from blurting out information, blurting out a solution, thinking you have the answer, assuming you know what they're saying, and you stopped and said, what I hear you saying is, that one phrase, I say this to salespeople all the time, it is not about working Smarter, not harder. Or uh, I, I actually feel you should work smarter and, and harder, smarter and harder. But that aside, it's it's incorporating certain strategies and certain listening and question asking techniques into your repertoire. So this this phrase, you know, what I hear you saying is is such a win win, because when someone's sharing information with you. In a, in a difficult or important conversation, when you say what I hear you saying is, two things are happening. If you heard them correctly, they're pleased because they feel heard, they feel validated, and they feel like you really are doing level two listening and focusing in on them. If you're wrong and you say what I hear you saying is, you give someone an opportunity to correct themselves. Or correct your interpretation, as it may be. One simple phrase. What I hear you saying is is such a powerful communication tool in the English language. It's a question and it's a statement. It's really a hybrid. What I hear you saying is it's, it's both. And I think that kind of situa- that kind of phraseology, goes so so far because. Not only does it allow people to feel heard, it stops you in your tracks from a habit of making statements when you should be asking questions, blurting out solutions when you should still be in problem-solving in critical thinking mode and not making assumptions. Look, I, I mention on this show all the time, I talk about the aspect of be curious, so easy for all of us to assume we know what the answer is. People change, people adapt, people evolve. Ted goes home to his wife, they have a conversation they've had a hundred times in her head. She's saying to herself, I know how he's I know what he's gonna say. I know how he's gonna respond. It might not be true. You could have a conversation ten times with people, and the eleventh time you have the conversation, the response and the reaction could be very different. Because that person might have had different life experiences or gained knowledge or gained awarenesses since the last time you had the conversation. But if you walk around with a mindset that people don't change and you feel like you know everything and you feel like whatever reaction they've always given in the past is going to be the reaction you get in the board, you've already lost. Because you can't be curious and you can't be open-minded going into those conversations. And the fact of the matter is, if you take that kind of mindset about assuming how people are going to respond and react, you're going to miss golden opportunities to observe, hear, and see information that is valued, such as body language and the hidden meaning and messages. So think about think about this for a moment. Three tools, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, what I hear you saying is, That is a connecting question in your conversations to use reflective listening and to confirm what you're hearing. Number two, stay curious. Don't be curious. Don't assume you know how a person is going to respond regardless of how many interactions. Stay open-minded. Stay curious. And this is the third one of all. and Boy, this one is so tough for people, and it's, it's one of my favorite Simon Garfunkel songs, The Sounds of silence. And I have to tell you, it's so hard for people to be silent. Certainly part of it is because it can be awkward and uncomfortable, especially in difficult conversations, job interviews, sales presentations, uh, public speaking, motivational speaking opportunities. It can be very difficult to hear that silence. People process information differently. And when people are silent, you're giving them some time to formulate your thoughts it actually slows you down, right? So you can reflect on perhaps what are the right questions to ask and really tune into that person again and rechannel your listening skills. So you might be listening to these three tips there, and you might say, Well you might say, Well, yeah, I already knew that. But maybe you did. But I hear more and more people tell me what I when I do training with people, I hear more and more people say, you know, I did know, but I forgot. Or I did know and I haven't really kept the habit up. So when we come back for our final segment, we're going to talk about how to build those little habits in. And we're going to talk about uh, some other examples of how sales emotional intelligence is essential to you and your company's success. This is Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll be back for our final segment. <laughs>
0: I Communicate continues on full service radio 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment. Uh, thanks for listening today. And, you know, I want you all to take a step back and think about um, buying something, right? Most of us are not spending a lot of money these days because for a lot of us, money is hard to come by. So there's less buying going on, but I want you to think about when you're buying something significant. And of course, the word significance can be open to interpretation because significant to one person may be different to others. But we know that when you're buying something significant, there's emotion tied up in it. I mean, just stop and think about it. Think about buying a car. Think about, you know, big ticket purpose purposes, uh, purchases, a car, a ticket, a big, big family vacation, um, something for your house that may cost a few thousand dollars, furniture, or a nice TV, something. But when we're purchasing something significant, there's emotion behind it. We don't want to make the wrong decision, right? We may have baggage and mistakes we've made in purchasing things in the past that we're very sensitive to and our radar is up. There's lots of emotions that go into buying things. could be people may have different opinions. At some point, if more than one person is involved in a buying decision, Someone's agenda or someone's wants and needs are going to take precedence over another person's, even if it's marginally. So there's a lot of emotion in a buying decision. And I think the biggest aspect of sales emotional intelligence is you have to understand that going in. And if you're trying to sell into a company, let's take the individual at the company first. The individual at this company if they're the key decision maker, they, they're sticking their neck out. And frankly, even if they're part of a group of decision makers, they're the one that brought your solution into the other decision makers. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of responsibility. People want to feel safe. People want to feel like they've done their due diligence, that they know they're making the right decision. And a big aspect of emotional intelligence in sales is, what are you saying? What are you doing? You know, we talk about building trust all the time, and that's essential in any human relationship, right? But what are some of the actions and steps you are taking to give that peace of mind to the person who has those fears? And, And fears is a key word, emotions, fears, past experiences, baggage, all these things rolled up into the buying process. Right? Now that's on that's on the, the prospect or customer side. But now let's talk about on the salesperson side. What about the emotions they experience? What about when they've been blown off in the past? What about when they've been dragged along and told yes and long sales cycle, right? And they said, oh yeah, we're going to use your service or we're going to use your product. And people um, drag, drag them along, and then they get rejected, and then they get blown off, or then they get ghosted. Here's what happens when you experiencing that. When you experiencing that enough in sales, as you experiencing as you experience those things, you build up a pattern, you build up baggage, and what happens is. When that pattern starts to repeat itself again, you're very sensitive to it, like we all are to any kind of baggage in our life. And so the second a client or a prospect says something that indicates that that pattern of being strung along or being ghosted or being rejected is going to come up again, it totally impacts a salesperson's ability to do their job. Because, from a self awareness perspective, the salesperson would have to recognize that this person is an individual. It's an isolated circumstance. So, you can't throw them in, label them to other people that have treated you that way. So, that's step one. Step two is the self control aspect of emotional intelligence can you control how you're reacting? Because, once, if you're in the presence of that person, or if you're on a phone call or if it's virtual, depending on the method you're communicating with that person, if you show your cards because you've been triggered and frustrated by a, by a way a prospect or a client is behaving to you, that's going to impact the strength of the relationship. That's going to impact a person's willingness to be open to you if they feel like it's going to frustrate you or disappoint you or hurt you. It's huge. And this is why I tell salespeople all the time, a big part of the reason you're ghosted is because people hate delivering bad news to other people. It's not that they're trying to be malicious and hurt your feelings and screw you over. They just don't know how to tell you. So a huge aspect of emotional intelligence is creating an environment where the person you're talking to creates uh, an opportunity for open and honest communication So if a person does have to tell you something, even if they think it's going to disappoint you, frustrate you, hurt your feelings, they feel safe to do it. And that's the ultimate compliment in a relationship if you as a salesperson have created that culture in the relationship with your customer. And then, of course, you have the motivation. You know, a huge aspect of emotional intelligence is motivation. And so when you are getting impacted, by irrational people who are making irrational requests for discounts, price decreases, product add-ons, contract changes, all of these things that can come up around negotiation and communication, it totally impacts your ability to be motivated to want to serve that customer. And, you know, one thing I'm seeing more and more of these days that I'm helping more companies with is the relationship between service and sales within an organization. You know, salespeople say all the time, you know, do you know how hard it is to get a customer? And it's incredibly hard to get a customer. And then apparently the service department or the account management team, they quote unquote screw it up because they're not delivering the kind of service that allows for customer retention or customer management. And the fact of the matter is, it takes two to tangle. I hear just as many clients saying that their frustration is the salespeople over-promise and their level of communication to the service team about what was actually promised is poor and sets the relationship off on a bad foot. So look, sales emotional intelligence, there are so many reasons in sales from the salesperson's perspective to be disappointed, frustrated, feel rejected, not realize how people perceive you. And from the client's perspective, there's the buying, the fear of of the fears that go into buying, the emotions that go into buying, the past experiences and relationships you've had where people have let you down, promised, and disappointed. So sales emotional intelligence, it's for both people, It's, it's to really more effectively manage the relationship. And you know, when you look at fundamental sales training, they'll talk about overcoming objections and closing and, and building rapport and all those old generic words, but how about the ability to identify, assess, and control your emotions and the emotions of others? How about that? How about knowing how to manage your behavior and knowing how to read people better, read body language, read emotion, read energy, control your impatience? Censure lack of motivation. These are all fundamentally important things related to sales emotional intelligence. So, look, to wrap up, you know, we've covered a lot on the show today, from asking effective questions to using levels of listening to ask those questions and really to use the fundamental components of sales emotional intelligence and why you need to start practicing them. And if you don't know how to access those skills and qualities, that's what I'm here for. So if you want more information on sales coaching, sales emotional intelligence, please contact. Uh, the, the best way to reach out to me is info at, mind, info at mindsetgo.com. Number is nine seven eight two zero six one five three five. You can go to our website at mindsetgo.com. We have several webinars coming up for the month of April. They're free. Want to educate people and allow people opportunities in these times. And otherwise, uh, happy to help. If you have any questions, want more information about the show, let me know. Otherwise, uh, really wishing you all in your families, your friends, your colleagues, everybody in your life a very safe, happy week. Stay home, stay smart, and be kind to yourself. This has been Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll be we'll see you next week.
0: And listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio
1: WCRN.